So as Caleb introduced just before, um, this morning we are embarking on our Advent series as we lead up and approach Christmas. And this year we are focusing around this theme of waiting. And I mean, as Caleb said, we've done a lot of waiting this year. It probably feels quite relevant after the year that we've had, especially after this last four or so months. Um, We've become quite good at waiting, really quite accustomed to waiting probably for like five days at a time just for the next announcement and then for the next announcement and then for the next announcement, wondering, you know, what will happen with our alert levels. And we know now there wasn't a lot of shift for a long time. But... Now we are still waiting. For some of us, we're waiting to see family or friends that we haven't been able to see in almost half a year. Some are waiting to visit children and grandchildren who have been stuck in Auckland throughout this time, waiting to reconnect with these family members that they have missed for so long. And though there's not long to go now, still we are waiting. Yet others are waiting to get overseas, to see family members, to see friends, Still, we are waiting. And waiting is one of those things that really isn't an exact science. Often we don't know how long we're going to be waiting for. We don't know what exactly the outcome is going to be. And even then, with waiting, you know, it's still all unknown. The time seems to really move at its own pace when you're waiting. Like when Charlotte and I run together, we're slowly building our way up to a 5k, but we're using an app and the app dings and tells us one minute to go. And we think, wonderful, that's like the best news ever. And then that minute honestly feels like it takes two weeks to finally tick down and we can stop running. But then there's other things, like when you're on holiday, and not that when you're on holiday, you're not waiting to return back home or waiting to go back to work, but you know, the thought lingers. And in situations like that, when you're waiting for something that you don't want to come, you better believe that time will fly by. I guess it goes with the saying, time flies when you're having fun. I mean, Charlotte and I can tell you time does not fly when you're running. But waiting is waiting, and at the end of the day, it is inevitable. Where there is living, there is waiting. Waiting for things you want to come, and waiting upon things that you dread coming. And I'm sure I've likely said this before, probably in a Christmas gone, but the people of Israel, God's people, they were people who knew what it was to wait. And it wasn't that the waiting was entirely forced upon them. They had certainly contributed to the unfortunate circumstances they often found themselves in. But they often found themselves at a point where they were waiting on God. They had come to the end of themselves and they had to wait on God to deliver them, to save them and to bring them hope. So today we're going to read from Isaiah 40, verses 26 to 31. So if you'd like to turn with me to there. Um, And here we find God's people in a bit of a bind once more. They're feeling lost, they're feeling helpless, they're feeling unseen, and they are waiting upon a rescue. But funnily enough, God's people seem unsure about what or who they're waiting for in this rescue. They seem to be drifting, to be doubting God himself. And God catches them out in verse 25, and he calls them out saying, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? 
And at this question from God, I imagine God's people are like kids in a classroom when they're avoiding being called on to answer a question. And they get all shifty and avoid eye contact because they don't know. The Israelites, they don't know. They don't know of anyone who is comparable to God. They don't know anyone who is equal to their God. But what they do know is that their not knowing is probably the answer. Their humility is the answer. Their submission to God and saying, well, actually there is no one comparable to you. That is the answer. But it's the answer that they don't want to give, that their pride doesn't want to give. So it's preferable for them to remain a bit shifty, to avoid eye contact, to just not answer. And then in Isaiah 40, verse 26 to 31, we read God's answer through the prophet Isaiah to the Israelites' non-answer of his question. And God says, Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I imagine Isaiah sighing as he delivers this message, because he knows that the Israelites know. He knows that they know the answers, that they're just unwilling to admit it. But still, he must persevere with gently pointing out to them what they already know and see right before their eyes. Who made the stars, he asks. And Isaiah doesn't even give them time to answer, or he doesn't even state the answer himself. Instead, he paints for them a picture that he's pretty confident they already see. The one who made the stars is the one who brings them out every single night, giving them a place to stand in the sky because he knows them all by name. That's who made the stars. And do you know how he does it? Do you know how he gives them their exact place every night without missing even one of them? It is because of his great power and his incomparable strength. That's how he does it. Maybe the Israelites still wouldn't make eye contact at this point. Maybe it was like an ashamed to meet your eye kind of thing. Their pride still not allowing them to lift their heads and admit what they already knew. Because Isaiah seemingly now exasperatedly throws up his hands, gets frustrated with them and begins to beg with them, saying, Oh Jacob, oh Israel, how could you even suggest that God does not see you where you're at? We're talking about the one who gives every single star their place in the night sky. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? 
Isaiah is desperately trying to connect the dots for them now, trying to illuminate this picture that they see. Isaiah knows that they're waiting on a rescue. He knows that they need deliverance, that they need a saviour, that they need hope. If only he can get them to see and acknowledge where that help is going to come from. Isaiah then changes his tune a little bit. Instead of trying to desperately beg with them, he calms down and this time approaches with more gentleness, spelling out to them again, spelling out to them kindly, spelling out to them clearly that this is the God that waits for you. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired. Even young men fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Their God, the God of the people of Israel, is everlasting. Their God is the creator. Their God never grows weak or weary. Their God is beyond what they could ever understand. And his understanding goes beyond what they could ever know. Their God gives. He is generous, giving power and strength to the powerless. Their God sees them. Even when the best of them, even when the strongest, the fittest, are weak and tired and exhausted, their God sees them. And their God offers them new strength. Their God offers them the experience of soaring on wings like eagles, running and not growing weary, walking and not growing faint. This is their God who waits right before them. Because that's the thing, while God's people waited for a rescue, while they turned their heads and let their eyes dart away, they knew that God stood right before them, that he was as close as ever. But they just didn't want to acknowledge it. They didn't want to wait on him as they needed to. Because they knew that we don't discover God, we submit to him. I'll say that one again. We don't discover God. We submit to him. God doesn't hide himself from us. He doesn't let his whereabouts become a mystery to us, like a fun game where we have to find him. He doesn't need discovering because he is always there, right there, waiting on us. And it is us who more often than not are the ones hiding from God. We're the ones acting shifty, turning our heads, darting our eyes, because we we know that God is right there, but we're scared of having to wait for him, wait on him. We're scared of what that might require of us. And no wonder Isaiah was so exasperated. Why wouldn't The people of Israel want to wait on God. Isaiah spells out all the good things that make up God. He describes the incredible character 
of God, the things that come from trusting in and waiting on God. We have security in an everlasting God, a God who won't grow weak or weary, a God who gives generously strength and power to the powerless. Why wouldn't we want to wait on God? But here's the deal. Waiting on God requires a complete dependence on God and a willingness to let him decide. And that's our catch. That's where we trip ourselves up. Because while we have to wait, it's inevitable. We don't want to have to submit. We don't want to have to admit our complete helplessness, our complete dependence on God, because it hurts our pride. We'd rather choose the terms. We'd rather have the control. We'd rather lay it all out, you know, fit the pieces where we want them to fit. But we can't, because we're simply not God. We're human, though that never seems to stop us trying to have the control. Back when this this was written, God's people were waiting to be delivered, to be saved, to find hope. And they were reluctant to wait on God. They kind of knew there was no other way, but they they didn't really want to admit that they'd come to the end of their rope. They didn't really want to admit that they were completely out of answers, that they couldn't get themselves out of the mess that they'd made. They really didn't want to do that. They would have rather found a solution or created a solution themselves, probably one that would involve a powerful person rising up through the ranks with incredible strength, with incredible understanding, one who could wage wars and then bring them peace, bringing order and control and safety for all of God's people. That I think that would be really great. A really strong, you know, powerful, almost beast-like human who could do way more than, you know, what they could do. The greatest that the world had ever seen. I believe that is what God's people probably wanted at that time. That's probably what they were imagining, what they would have chosen for themselves if they had been able. But the reality was that they had no choice. They were at the end of their rope, out of answers, utterly helpless. God was all they had. The one who had been waiting for them all of that time. So they did what they had to do. They submitted themselves to God, to his rescue. They depended on him to bring deliverance, to save them, to bring them hope. And he did. They did have to keep waiting a bit longer, keep submitting, keep depending a while longer. But God did come through for them. To be more specific, God came through with Jesus for them. And Jesus, he came through the womb as a baby. The deliverer was here. The savior was here. The hope was here. And he was wrapped up in a cloth, laying in a manger. The waiting that Isaiah spoke of here, chava in the Hebrew language, wasn't just killing time. It wasn't the sort of waiting where you watch an episode of something on Netflix to kill that 20 minutes or so you have spare. 
It's not the desperate sort of waiting as you wait for that last 60 seconds to tick away in your run. This Hebrew waiting, chava, means living a life of confident expectation. A life lived in confident expectation of the one who created the stars, who knows them by name and gives them their place and their purpose. A life lived in confident expectation of the everlasting creator God who never grows weak or weary. A life lived in confident expectation of the God whose depth of understanding surpasses what we could ever know. A life lived in confident expectation of the God who gives generously, giving his people power and strength when they've grown tired. A life lived in confident expectation of the God we wait upon, who lifts us up to soar on wings like eagles and to run and walk without growing faint. This is how we wait. You'll notice that chava doesn't include coming up with our own solutions. It doesn't involve doing what we think is best. It just involves us waiting on God, living in confident expectation of him, depending on him, submitting to him. You'll notice that chava is all about living in confident expectation of the God who delivered to us a baby, our deliverer, our saviour, our hope. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We come to the communion table this morning to remember what it is to wait on the Lord. At this table, we remember the cross. We remember the world plunged into darkness and helplessness, where it seemed that all was lost. There was nothing left to do then but wait upon the Lord. But at this table, we then remember the third day. The stone rolled away, the empty tomb, the shocked disciples. We remember Jesus alive. Waiting upon the Lord, like waiting itself, it's not an exact science. There's no prescribed way of exactly how it will go, exactly when it will end, or exactly what the outcome will be. The only exact thing that we know about it is that it is life lived in confident expectation of a God who has come through time and time again. When we wait upon the Lord, we wait upon a God, our God who delivered to us a baby. When we wait upon the Lord, we wait upon our God who raised his son three days later. When we wait upon the Lord, we wait upon our God who has promised us life in abundance until his son returns. When we wait upon the Lord, we wait upon this God, the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth, 
who never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Our God who gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. When even youths become weak and tired and young men fall in exhaustion, those who trust in the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord, find new strength. They soar high on wings like eagles. They run without growing weary. They walk without growing faint. Our waiting, it is inevitable and it is unavoidable. So let us come to this table this morning to re-surrender ourselves. Because waiting isn't easy. It's tiring. It's wearying. It can be exhausting. Let us come to the table this morning and resubmit and acknowledge again our own humanity, our own dependence on our good and faithful God, our own dependence on the one who has and will come through for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are everlasting. We thank you that you are strong, that you are powerful, and that you give that strength and power to us generously. We thank you that you will raise us up to soar on wings like eagles, to run and walk without growing faint or tired. Lord God, we thank you for your promises that you have delivered on time and time again, and we thank you for the gift of Jesus the one who began this whole story. We thank you for the gift of your son given to us at Christmas time. And as we come to this table this morning, Lord God, we remember how your people waited all those years. They waited all those years for their deliverer, for their savior, for their hope. As we come this morning, Lord, would you help us to submit ourselves to you? Would you help us to acknowledge our own humanity? Acknowledge that we need you. Acknowledge that we don't have all of the answers, but we know that you do. Lord God, would you meet us right where we are at? And would you be with us in that place? We thank you for the invitation to come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.